0: I'd like to welcome the tape program to services here and rock him out. The tin woodman had once been a real man who had been in love with a beautiful maiden. It was a dream to marry her once he could earn enough money to build him a cottage in the wood. The Wicked Witch hated his love, and she cast a spell upon him that caused him injury, so that one by one his limbs needed to be replaced with artificial ones made of tin. At first it seemed an advantage for his metal frame allowed him to work nearly as powerful as a machine. With a heart of love and arms that never tired, he, he seemed sure to win. The tin man is quoting here. I thought I had beaten the wicked witch. Then I worked harder than ever, but I little knew how cruel my enemy could be. She thought of a new way to kill my love for the beautiful maiden and made my axe slip again so that it cut right through my body, splitting it in two halves. Once more, the tenor came to my help and made me a body of tin, fastened my tin arms and legs and head to it by means of joints so that I could move around as well as ever. But I had no heart, so that I lost the love for my beautiful maiden and did not care whether I married her or not. My body shone so brightly in the sun that I felt very proud of it, and it did not matter how now if my axe slipped or it could not cut me. There was only one danger that my joints would rust, but I kept a can of oil in the cottage and took care of myself whenever I needed. However, there came a day when I forgot to do this, and being caught in a rainstorm before I thought of the danger of my joints, had rusted together. I was left to stand in the woods until you came to help me. It was a terrible thing to undergo. But during the years I stood there, I had time to think that the greatest loss I had known was the loss of my heart. While I was love, while I was in love, I was the happiest man on earth. But no one can love who has not a heart. And so I resolved to ask Oz to give me a heart. If he does, I will go back to the maiden and marry her. You know where that comes from. <laughs> the Wizard of Oz. But the statement. The greatest loss I had known was the loss of my heart, is the subject today, the loss of your heart, because that is the greatest loss you can ever have happen to you, is the loss of your heart. Throughout our childhood and growing up and just life in general, there are, there are blows to the heart that we take growing up. I remember I told the story or read the story about Andy Drake, poor little boy who uh, was poor and had this little rusty bicycle and... He, he had, I think, put garden hose for the tires around it. And he was in this little club of other guys, about 12, 13 years old. And they basically tolerated him, Andy Drake, you know, the poor little boy. They just tolerated him. And it came a point when they decided, we don't want you in our club. They met him out there, and they told him. They said, Andy, we no longer want you in our club. And a tear welled up in his eye, and he turned around, got on his old rusty bike, and never said a word. That's, that's a blow to the heart. And we have these things happen to us as children growing up. It might be a religion that has let you down or a man that has let you down. Better, better to say a man, not a religion, but a, a man that has let you down. Rejection, failed relationships, abuse. These are all blows to the heart. The loss of heart, the things that snatch and tear our hearts out. You know, the enemy, the devil, is after one thing. He is after your heart. To steal and destroy your heart. And that might be, you know, that's a reference to Satan. You know, he is to, to, to steal and destroy. And that might be one of the ways he does. He, he first steals your heart and then he sets out to destroy it. Physically, you cannot live without your heart. It's the most vital organ that you have. Spiritually, you cannot live. You cannot have a relationship with God without your heart. So I want to look at today three ways that we lose our heart. Three ways. Number one, number one, is the failure to realize your heart is good. The failure to realize your heart is good. Now, if I came by and I said, Angela, your heart is really good. Ronnie, your heart is good. Janie, your heart is good. Mike, Greg, Sandy. Some of you would, would say, well, but David, you, you don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know the struggles that I have. You don't know the temptation. You don't know my shortcomings, my failures. And after all, don't you remember... That the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. I understand that. That as God looks at creation in general, He says the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. That, that's easy enough to understand. But have you not changed? You know, a lot of times we carry that concept through the waters of baptism. My heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. We carry this through the waters of baptism and, and we continue to deny the operation the spiritual operation that has taken place in your life. And it it's found in Ezekiel 36:26. If you want to know the condition of your heart, let's begin with the Bible. Ezekiel 36 and verse 26. For, let's, let's start in verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you Cause you to walk in my statues, and you will keep my judgments and do them. That's the spiritual operation. That's what God considers, you know, the condition of your heart. And so we, we need to realize that, that God, he says, look, I'm going to take away that stony heart, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, which to me, it means it's a pliable, it's like a baby's heart. It can be molded and shaped. It can be corrected. It can be changed. This heart I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a different heart. I'm going to put my spirit within you. And yet, it's, it's almost a common, it's a part of theology in the area of religion. The way people look at themselves. I know a lot of religious people that look at themselves after baptism. And they say, my heart is not good. It's the concept that a lot of Christians have. My heart's not good. I'm a sinner saved by grace. The Bible refers to us as saints, but I'm, I'm not a saint, I'm a sinner. <laughs> There's nothing good in me. Nothing good. And, you know, I think it has a lot to do with, and again, I'm talking about this side of baptism, of the spiritual operation that God has taken place in your life. You know, the, it, you've heard of the fall original sin because of something Adam did, something was passed on to us. I, I sort of disagree with that concept. I, I think that we were created neutral with the ability to go in either direction, the direction of good or the direction of evil. And the fact that we have, we have all chosen the easiest way and in other words, we've all sinned. It's just a fact. I mean, it's just, you know, that we, we chose the easier way. You do have those choices to make. Create it neutral with the ability to go in either direction. And the fact is, we have all chosen to go in the wrong direction and need forgiveness. One of the verses people use a lot of times to try to back up from a rel- religious perspective that they're... Well, let me, let me read something to you. I've been reading a book, Waking the Dead. This is... L- listen... This is the way a lot of Christians think. Listen to this closely, quoting here from the book, Waking the Dead. Christ has died. Now, he's a little bit uh, sarcasm here as as I read this. He's being sarcastic as I read this. He says, Christ has died for us, but we remain, so we believe, deeply marred. It actually ends up producing a great deal of guilt after all that Christ has done for you, and now you're back asking forgiveness again. To be destined to a life of repeating the very thing that sent our Savior to the cross can hardly be called salvation. Think of it. You are a shadow of the person you were meant to be. You have nothing close to the life you were meant to have, and you have no real chance of becoming that person or finding that life. However, you are forgiven. For the rest of your days, your days you will fail in your attempts to become what God wants you to be. You should seek forgiveness and try again. Eventually, shame and disappointment will cloud your understanding of yourself and you're a god. When this ongoing hell on earth is over, you will die, and you will be taken before God for a full account of how you didn't measure up, but you will be forgiven. After that, you will be asked to take your place in the choir of heaven. This is what we mean by salvation. And, of course, he's kidding. He goes on to say, the good news is, this is not Christianity. But millions believe that it is. That this lifestyle here is Christianity that I've just illustrated. There is more, a lot more, and that more is what most of us have been longing for all of our lives. So, I want to look at Romans 7 and verse 18. Uh, I was going there before, but I want to point out something here that Paul illustrates about us. Romans 7 and verse 18. You know what I found? If, if you go around with the mentality that your heart is no good, you'll never see any good in other people either. You know, if you, if you have that reflection of yourself that my heart's no good, You'll never see any good in other people. You won't be able to. Notice what he says in Romans 7 and verse 18. For I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. But notice the distinction that he makes. He does not say there is nothing good in me, period. He says there's nothing good in my flesh. He's deliberately making a distinction here. And to just sum it up by saying, you know, my heart's no good. It's filthy, it's ugly. I really think you need to consider sometimes, reconsider what God is doing with your heart. Notice 16 and 17. He uh, says, uh, If then I do what I will not will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Again, a distinction is made that this, that sinful nature you battle is not who you are. Okay? That, that sinful nature you battle Is not who you are. But we think it is a lot of times. We we think, a lot of times we think, I am the sin, you know. And he he makes a separation here. In other words, this is not my true heart. When you fall flat on your face, when you sin, this is not my true heart. And a lot of times we think it is. It can be the beautiful loser mentality. It must be easier to think that Christians are just losers than it is to, to, to believe in the operation of God. Know your heart. That was the first sermonette i ever gave know your heart i surprised i can remember that can you know that your heart is good some are still denying it you know some struggles are greater than others i realize that but you know what god promises is, is he says i'm gonna i'm gonna perform an operation for you a spiritual operation i'm gonna make your heart good get used to it but i hope this can help us again that statement that sinful nature your battle is not who you are it's not who you are so take heart but one of the ways we lose our heart is is the assumption that my heart is no good. If you think that long enough and you'll lose your heart that it's no good. You carry that to your grave and you'll lose it. You'll lose your heart. Secondly, second way we lose our heart, our failure to embrace the glory within. Our failure to embrace the glory within. You know, I mentioned that this operation is a beautiful thing. Taking away the stony heart, replacing it with the heart of flesh, giving you the Spirit of God. That's glory within you. The glory within you. You believe it? something glorious within you that god is doing you know a lot of times i have struggled i, I look at my limitation my desires to overcome and then sometimes fall flat on my face and i think you know nothing if, if god can do anything if god can create the universe if he can create the earth traveling through space sixty-four thousand miles per hour around the sun surely he can take this and straighten me out <laughs> you know it's like a a uh, have you ever looked at one of these things the uh telephone man's working on it sticks upright and you take it off and it's a it's a electrical uh, circuitry in there it's millions of wires and I look at that sometimes and I think how does he know what he's doing <laughs> and so Satan comes along in your life and he just gets in there and he just re, he just screws it all up you know your life and and we think boy can God fix that sure he can sure he can That's what he's doing with your life he can straighten that mess out can straighten that mess out i want to quote something nelson mandela said and i quote our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure it is our light not our darkness that frightens us we ask ourselves who am i to be brilliant gorgeous talented and fabulous actually who are you not to be you are a child of god your playing small doesn't serve the world. Playing small doesn't serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were born to manifest the glory of God that is within us. And as we let our light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our fears, our presence automatically liberates others. Well, that's powerful. That's powerful. A powerful statement. You know what I think? I think we fear our glory. We fear our glory. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. We fear our glory. You know, you are the only ones who know the answers. The answer to this question, what is man? you are the chosen ones to know the answer. You know, I think we have a lot in common with mainstream Christianity in that most people believe that Christians believe that it's about character building, you know, that they, that's a common belief. But you know when it comes to what is man? What is your destiny? What happens when you die? That's where the difference comes in. Difference comes in. Because and I, and I know that a lot of us we fear our glory in this thing too because we will We struggle with this, but as many as received him, gave he power to become sons of God. I know know people in the church that struggle with that, very greatly struggle with that. because, And yet, you could take an adult and say, well, what does that scripture mean? And they would say, well, but as many as received him, gave he power to become sons of God. Well, it means uh, being good people. It means when you die, you sort of like, you know master-slave relationship, <laughs> you know, the puppy dog, it sits at the master's feet. That's about it. You ask the child what that scripture means. That child will says, well, the child will say, well, it looks like uh, man uh, going to become sons of God, sort of be like God is. That's what a child would say, but not us. We fear our glory. We fear our glory. We fear our glory because we think it's pride. But is it prideful to embrace the truth that you bear the image of God? Is that prideful? To embrace the truth that we bear the image of God? i, I give you a little physical example here. I've, many times I've been amazed at, I guess men pick up on this. I'm quite sure they do. If you're in a room full of people, a waiting room, an office or something, a lot of females in there, let's say. And, and a beautiful woman walks in. I, I, I can pick up on that. I, you know, I can see it in the other less fortunate women. There's this Hostility and resentment, you know if you can cut it with a knife like, mm, who are you yeah i could I, men pick up on that for some reason you have to watch that women you know men, men I don't know what they have, but they have something you may not be they can look at you and tell you are highly upset because this other you know this beautiful woman is walking in the room, and of course I, it works with women i know I know a lot of women have something they can tell when a man is. Responding to them in an improper fashion, you know, a sensual fashion, that can be a big turnoff. I know they can sense that. But men can sense, believe it or not, they can sense a few things too. Uh, This is a woman quoting here. Obviously, I guess she's a beautiful woman. It would have to be to say this. She says, when you walk into a room, every woman looks at you to see, are you prettier than they are? Are you a threat? So, to to fear your glory, you know, it's an awkward thing to shimmer when everyone around you is not. To walk in your glory with an unveiled face when everyone else is veiling his. Living from your glory is the only loving thing you can do. You cannot love another person if you're hiding, if you're still in a hiding, if you're not, you know, imagine, suppose Christ had pretended not to be who he really was. You know what I mean? Suppose when the Pharisees, you know, you think you're the... Son of God, if he'd have just said, well, I guess, I guess I'm not. You know, I, just, I suppose he, did, he didn't handle it like that. You know, the glory was something that he didn't hide. To fear our glory is one of the ways, the second ways you can lose your heart. Thirdly, we lose our heart by the unwillingness to fight for it. You know, every woman wants to know, am I worth fighting for? The swan Princess, the movies, the fairy tales. The prince is always fighting for Odette or whatever her name is. You know, he's fighting evil beasts. He's fighting Zelda. He's fighting, you know, he's fighting for her. Fighting for her heart. Your heart must be fought for. And your heart screams out, are you willing to fight for me? You must fight for your life. Until we come to the terms with war, have you ever thought about why the Bible is such a bloody book? It's just battle after battle. You know, I watched the movie uh, Gladiator. And, you know, it starts out with some Oh, horrendous, the way they fought back then with the swords and the spears. And that's the way it was back in ancient Israel. That's how they fought. And, and, but I think those illustrations of fighting is to drive home an incredible lesson, important lesson, that you must fight for your heart. Until we understand the terms with war you know, as, as it's a natural way of our life, we will not understand our lives. We will misunderstand 90% of what is happening around us and to us until we understand life is a battle. Look at Revelation 12. 12. Have you ever heard the real Christmas story? Would you like to hear the real Christmas story? As Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. This is a Christmas story you've never heard. It's the most powerful Christmas event. It blows your mind. Now, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head uh, of 12 stars. Then, then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. What are we talking about? The birth of Christ. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and on his head. His tail drew a third of the angels of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she bore a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God. And to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she uh, has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. You know the Christmas story of peace, tranquility. It's not the way it was. And and to me, the greatest deception of Christmas is not so much the paganism behind it; it is that deception, the clever deception that we are at war. This was a spiritual battle going on at the birth of Christ. And the the deception that covers that up totally at Christmas time is, is unreal. Philip Yancey said, "This is no silent night. This is D-Day, the battle." Uh, yeah, it's, 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 Christianity is sort of it's sick from time to time. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never fly over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir well, what in the world are you doing in the Lord's army if, if you're never going to do anything? I mean, why are you there? And These are cute little songs that, you know, there is no battle, there is no war, there is no enemy. Your life is not at stake. You're not desperately needed, but you're in the Lord's army. Passively living neutrality. That's a dangerous subject, neutrality. Without concern, inactivity. Everything is fine. How are you doing? Fine. You people say that. I sometimes just feel like saying, no, you're not fine. You think you're fine. But you don't see what's going on behind the scenes. And I'm I'm just trying to make us realize that what is going on behind the scenes of our lives, the battle, the struggle, the Star Wars saga, Luke discovers the secret message from the princess. She says, this is our most desperate hour. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This is our most desperate hour. You live your life like that. You ever think about that? As you're, You know, as you slurp down your cup of coffee early in the morning and you're off to go to work. You ever think about it? This is my most desperate hour. No, no, you don't think about that. You're not aware that there's a battle. You're, we're ignorant <laughs> of the battle until you fall, until you sin. Then you're aware of it. And I'm saying a lot of this can be prevented. Your falls, your sins if you understand the battle. Onward, Christian soldier. I'm glad we didn't sing that today. It's almost, I just thank God, probably is up in heaven just, <laughs> onward, Christian soldier. Get a, get a life. I mean, what are you, what is this, a joke or something? Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. When? <laughs> How? <laughs> I want to mention for a close, unanswered prayer, because I think unanswered prayer can... Create a loss of heart, and you know what do you pray for? You pray that so and so will be healed, and it doesn't happen. Although that's you know death is, is is a sort of I shouldn't maybe I shouldn't have brought that up because death occurs to us all. I mean we have to you know you have, there's a time to die. We have to realize that. But well, let me go to another area of prayer: things you want, things you need spiritually, your walk with God, things you pray for, and, and they and you wonder, well. You know, God, did he, he, did, he didn't answer my prayer. Why? Look at Daniel 10 and verse 10. If there's ever an illustration that should give us encouragement, and that not only are we to be engaged in this battle, but that there are others engaged in the battle for us, fighting for us. Daniel 10 and verse 10 through 14. Daniel 10 and verse 10. Then suddenly a hand touched me which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hand. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While I was speaking the word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, And behold, Micah, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. You ever think about this when it comes to your prayers not being answered? You know, after 23 minutes of my prayer not being answered, I think I must be blowing it. God is holding out on me. Or I might go through a series of confessing every sin I ever committed. Why do we do that? I mean, it, well, Lord, back 20 years ago, I committed this sin. We get at this list, and God is saying, I don't care. If, you know, They've been forgiven. Yet, well, maybe if I just go through and confess every sin. And we lose heart. We lose heart because of this. And yet, what is illustrated here is that when we pray... I mean, this is, incre- this is an angelic being who is trying to get to Daniel. He shows up out of breath. Completely out of breath. He says, look, for 21 days I have been fighting. Warriors. I mean, these are sp- how do spirit beings fight? In the battle, they've been fighting. I've been trying to get to you. And now here I am to answer your prayer. The angelic powers that are fighting in order to give you an answer. Are we willing to fight for our hearts? So three things. Don't become like the tin man. The devil has a target and it is your heart. Three things. The failure to realize your heart is good. Second, our failure to embrace the glory within. Thirdly, the unwillingness to fight for our heart.